Hey, thanks so much for taking the time to listen to this podcast from Vital Point Church. My name is Ron. I'm the pastor here at Vital Point. We believe that it's important for people to explore and grow in their faith. And my hope, my prayer is that this message that you're listening to will draw you closer to better understanding how you can live out your faith journey in the everyday life. Sit back and enjoy. David, I'm the Community Connections Pastor. I'm on the teaching team, and I get the great privilege of leading our Exeter site in Exeter, Ontario. Um, wherever you find yourself this morning, I'm really praying that you be encouraged. Uh, whether you're in a room at one of our sites, watching online, a friend shared this message with you, I'm really praying that you would find uh, care, you would find peace, and you would find joy in a conversation around life, faith, and God here at Vital Point Church. Today we're going to talk about love, and I know for some of us we just yell yes when we hear this topic because it gives us the warm, the fuzzies, the butterflies, and we say our world right now needs a dash of love and everything will be great. And at first glance, I'm with you on that. Our world does need a dash of love, but I believe it needs a hint of something else as well. And I believe Jesus also helps us understand it's, yes, this love that we have to carry out through everything that we do in our life. The Bible talks about that, but there's much, much more that we need to do when we're exploring life and faith. Like I said, the Bible talks a lot about love. Wherever we go, carry it. Um, be that love that this world needs. One of the most famous and memorized verses in the Bible is John 3.16, where it talks about God's love for this world. It says, For God so loved the world that he gave his only Son, that whoever believes in him should not perish but have eternal life. When you really examine the depths of that verse, you'll notice that it is like literally saturated and curated and fueled in love by God. It takes and talks about God's love is so deep and so wide for this world that he would actually go the distance to send his one and only son so that you and I would not be separated from him eternally. If you know the story a little bit, Jesus, his one and only son, goes to the cross to die for you and I. Talk about a love that is not just the fluffies and like the butterflies. That's a love that goes the distance no matter what. And that's the love I want to talk about today. Love that goes the distance. If you have your Bible, go to Matthew's chapter uh, 5, um, verse 43 to 48. See, as you may know or not know, we're in a series right now where we're taking the teachings of Jesus seriously. And see how it speaks truth into our lives for the everyday. Not just the Sunday gathering, but the everyday life. Week one, we asked this question. What if we took Jesus seriously? And we started to pose, would our our lives be transformed and shaped into what God wants for us? And God honoring, would our beliefs, our choices, our opinions, would they reflect the kingdom of heaven? Would we spend more time with Jesus? to become like him and do what he did and does in our lives. And if you want to be real here, if we took him seriously, would the blueprints to our lives start looking a lot more in the way that God intended his people to live? See, in this moment that we've been looking at in the Sermon on the Mount, Matthew's chapter 5 to 7, we call them the Sermon on the Mount, this moment in history was shaking people to their core sitting under the teachings of Jesus. 
It rattled and shook up everything that they had been taught. It's kind of like why we called this series, Jesus Said What? Because in this time frame, in this moment that Jesus was teaching these things, these people would leave these teachings in awe and amazement. Like many of us have been leaving a Sunday morning gathering or a connect group night, we leave in awe and amazement because the statements, the teachings of Jesus is really helping us see that it's ruining our lives in ways and putting them back together in restoration. And it's giving us clarity of what it means for people who are following Jesus and committing their lives to his church and his way of life. It's helping us see that there's a foundation that God has put in place. And we have story upon story right now where people are saying, this is what I needed in my life right now. And today, we're going to look at the love that Jesus and God desire for us to live out as disciples of him. Matthew chapter 5, verses 43 to 48. Let me read it for you, okay? It says this, Jesus talking to the crowds. You have heard that it was said, you shall love your neighbor and hate your enemy. But I say to you, love your enemies and pray for those who persecute you, so that you may be sons of your father who is in heaven, for he makes his sun rise on the evil and on the good, and sends rain on the just and the unjust. For if you love those who love you, what reward do you have? Do not even the tax collectors do the same? And if you only greet your brothers, what more are you doing than others? Do not even the Gentiles do the same? And he finishes off in verse 48 saying, You therefore must be perfect as your heavenly Father is perfect. Now at first glance, and listening to this, you may have the question, do we really have to love our enemies? But I want to encourage you here for a moment. Let's take our feelings. We all have feelings and emotions when we read this text. And I want us to take our feelings and set them to the side for a moment now that we've read this passage. Because often we read scripture, we read God's word, and we tend to put our feelings in the way of what God's word is desiring for us. And it can become dangerous when our feelings fuel the way we see and read God's word. I had to do this all week, in all honesty. Studying this week, I had to take my feelings out of the study, put them to the side and whisper, God, what do you have for us? What are you, what are you meaning here? What do you want for us? Because when I read this, just like you, I I put my feelings there and I say, and I respond, not a chance in the world. Nope, zip, nada, zilch when it comes to loving my enemies. I don't want to do that. My feelings say, no way. So let's put our feelings to the side. We, We acknowledge that we have them but we're going to put them to the side and say, God, what do you have for us? Because here's what we're going to spend our time doing together today. We're going to break this down, looking at it verse by verse, because Jesus is the master at connecting the dots for God's people then and now. He allows them to see what he was sent by by the Father, Jesus. He was sent by the Father to fulfill the teachings of God, which he gave them to a guy named Moses in the Old Testament. And then what we're going to do after we break it down, we're going to see the hermeneutics, how we are going to apply this to our lives. We're going to ask the question, what does this mean right now after we see the context of what he's talking into? So the feelings are to the side, and we're going to seek God's truth here. Verse 43, let's open this up right here. Here again, as we've seen all throughout the series of the Sermon on the Mount, and Jesus said what? Jesus brings correction and clarity clarity to the life in the kingdom of heaven. He says, you have heard, love your neighbor and hate your enemy. 
See, what's unfortunate with this phrase here that he was bringing to their attention is that the Pharisees and the religious elite were teaching this way of life. Love your enemy and, and sorry, love your neighbor and hate your enemy. They would teach that you should love those close to you and hate your enemy. And an enemy in that day was someone that was defined as who hates you, who curses you, who exploits you out of selfish reason to what? To gain power over you, authority over you. So this way of life saying love your neighbor and hate your enemy was them believing that their hatred towards the enemy was a way of partnering with God and bringing judgment on those people who look different, who thought different, who live different. And nowhere in scripture does it ever say to hate your enemies. It says the complete opposite in the Old Testament. Exodus 23 talks about this. It says, if you meet your enemy's ox or his donkey going astray, which I know many of us are doing lately. Who's got the ox and the donkey going astray these days? He says, you shall bring it back to them. If you see the donkey or of one who hates you lying down under its burden, you shall refrain from leaving him with it. You shall rescue it with him. Leviticus 19 says, you shall not take vengeance or bear a judge against the sons of your own people, but you shall love your neighbor as yourself. And then he stamps this one with saying, I am the Lord. So let's be clear here. It's not like the Pharisees or the religious sleep didn't have these scrolls, didn't have these uh, scriptures and teachings. They, they were the ones that actually had access to them. So they knew the word of God. But what I believe has happened here for the Pharisees, teaching them to love your neighbor, hate your enemy, is that they dipped into living a life and teaching a life about a place out of feelings. They were fueled by their feelings and their emotions towards others. So Jesus was bringing correction. So verse 43 is a correction to them that love does not go on feelings and emotion. Yes, there's moments where your heart beats fast for someone. Absolutely. But when it is fueling how you see people, it can get wonky because our emotions can be corrupt. They can be hate that you can be filled with hate as an emotion right so we, he's bringing correction to them saying you say love your neighbor and hate your enemy but i say something different verse 44 and 45 actually brings this correction to a fulfillment and, and they kind of go hand in hand 44 and 45 and, and they go hand in hand because we see Jesus telling them, but I tell you the complete opposite. Just as Moses said, I say, love your enemies and pray for those who persecute you. In other words, he was aligning them back to see your hearts are out of place if you're fueled by the disordered desires of your flesh to hate and bring judgment upon them. God's people, he's saying, God's people will be demonstrators of God's love, even to your enemies in your lives. The ones who hate you, you're going to love them. The ones that curse you, you're going to love them. The ones that exploit your deepest, darkest feelings, guess what? You're going to love them. This is where he's bringing this, this, this correction to fulfillment. And I can only imagine these people in this moment, the crowds are sitting there and they're saying, but why Jesus? Right? They're saying, the hatred that I've received from these people, guess what, has brought me pain to my family's name, to who I am as a human being. The curses that they put on me, guess what, I can't control the damage and the bleeding. It's so deep. They've exploited my deepest, darkest parts of me. I want revenge. I can't love Jesus. 
And verse 45 is an interesting one because Jesus reveals the heart of God. (laughs) He reveals the heart of God here. He mentions that the sun rises on the evil and it rises on the good. He also says that the, that, that God sends the rain on the good and the unjust, the just and unjust. He, he still has these things happen to them. The sun still rises. The rain still falls on their crops. His love, it's an imagery of what? His love extends onto everyone. Why, why, why does Jesus give this admonition and, and love and correction in this moment for them? This imagery of the sun coming up and the rain falling, no matter what your position is on loving God and acknowledging God. He uses this correction in this moment because love is the mark of maturity that they are sons and daughters of God. Not acting childlike like the Pharisees were. No, no, no. Verse 45 is suggesting that their love as sons and daughters will cultivate. This is the beautiful imagery here of of Jesus. It'll cultivate a climate of blessings towards someone. Just as God does. He still has the sunshine, the rainfall on the ones who repay good for good and evil for evil. And God's saying, my apprentices, my children are going to repay them with good for evil as an investment of love, just as I do. Jesus actually talks about this more in Matthew chapter 5, verse 16, about living out this life and the light that we have received from Christ. He says, in the same way, let your light shine before others so that they may see your good works and give glory, not to you, but to your Father who is in heaven. I've been reflecting a lot on this for me personally, and I've seen this image in my mind and in my heart that it's like a channel of water. We who are in Christ should be channels of his love where the floodgates are wide open. We're not like a dam where we hold it all back for ourselves and say, sorry, you missed the boat. No, we say we're going to open this up and allow you to experience what I've experienced, no matter what you think. Verse 46 and 47, I I love Jesus. There's these moments where I feel like he's grabbing our shoulders and the shoulders of people that day and just kind of shaking them up and letting them see, this is my reality of what I'm talking about. It says this moment that Jesus makes is real for them because the next part, it's like a shot at the Pharisees, and he helps them acknowledge that people who do evil still show love to people. And in their day and age, it was the tax collectors and religious elite who thought they were over others. But he says, even those people, even the tax collectors, even the Gentiles, even the people that look over one another, they love one another, they greet one another, they host one another. And he's saying, if you are my people and my disciples, and you're only loving the ones and greeting and hosting the ones that look like you, aren't you just like the tax collectors? Aren't you just like the Gentiles? You're still looking and operating like the world, not the kingdom of heaven that I am calling you into. It's a quick shot and shakes them up a bit because Jesus is helping them see many of you are living your lives just like your enemies. There's nothing different about you. 
And what I love about Jesus here is his words would have cut through the crowd as like a fine, precise way, landing in hearts and minds and helping these listeners see and realize that they are just like the world. And here's the thing. These people hated the Pharisees. They hated the Gentiles because of the way they were living. And Jesus is saying, I'm sorry, but many of you look exactly like your enemies. And Jesus is helping them see, you're not much different than them. But I'm calling you to be much more. Where then he transitions to verse 48. And he concludes and lands the plane with a section by saying, be perfect. Big word. Be perfect, therefore, as your heavenly Father is perfect. His message as a whole here is showing, in this verse 48, is showing and demonstrating God's righteous standard. For God himself truly is the standard of righteousness. And this is why Jesus literally deals with murder, lust, hate, deception in the sections leading up to love your enemies because he's revealing to them that those are the characteristics that are not of God. Love, I'm sorry, lust, hate, deception, they are not of God. Though we can never be like God, it says be perfect, therefore, your heaven, like as your heavenly father is perfect, this is a moment where we need to understand that we can never be perfect. We, like in our own desires and our own flesh, we cannot be perfect. Our faith in trust in God allows us to enjoy his righteousness, which is in Christ, making us perfect, reproduces this life and nature that only comes from him. We can't do it on our own. Warren Wearsby, a theologian, says it so beautifully. He says the word perfect in Matthew uh, 548 does not imply sinlessly perfect. For that's impossible, that life. Though it's good goal to shoot for and strive for, it suggests completeness, maturity. I love those words. Completeness, maturity. As the sons and daughters of God, the Father loves his enemies and seeks to make them his children, and we should assist him. It's this Beautiful vision casting of what it means to follow and be close to Jesus and what he is doing in this world. This section of loving your enemies. Here's a quick recap because I needed this for myself and I, maybe you need it for yourself as well. This is what Jesus is doing here is a few things. Verse 43, he's bringing correction and fulfillment to the law. Don't let your feelings fuel the way you live. It can get wonky. It can get scary. Verses 44 to 45, he is, he's bringing encouragement to live as a climate, as love, as God does, no matter what people are in our world. 46 and 47, he takes a quick little healthy shot and saying, hey, don't look like the world. Remember, you're supposed to be a citizen and, 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 and looking like the kingdom of heaven. Verse 48, he reminds us that God has a standard and it only comes through seeking his life through his son, Jesus, and the nature that he calls us to. And see, what I sense from my studies here is this, is Jesus is revealing to the listeners of that day, and now we get to sit in on it, is that God is wanting us to assist him in reaching the ones that are far from him. And this is how I see it playing out. At the beginning of the week, I wrote down, a few questions to ponder and to mull over and pray over. I wrote down, what does this mean? 
I wrote down, do we really need to love others? I also wrote, as Christians, do we really need this? And the final one that I wrote down is, what now if I take Jesus seriously? John Piper says it beautifully. He says, if you are a Christ follower, the passage that we just read is all about how we respond to the naysayers and others who are our enemies. Jesus in the gospel makes it clear and says, you will be persecuted because of your faith in me. John chapter 15 says, if you were of the world, the world would love you as its own. But because you are not of the world, but I chose you out of the world, therefore the world hates you. Paul, the apostle in the New Testament, doubles down on this as well in 2 Corinthians 12. He says, for the sake of Christ, then I am with weakness, insults, hardships, persecutions, and calamities. For when I am weak, then I am strong. See, what I've taken away from these two verses here in the New Testament is if we don't have enemies when it comes to your Christian faith, are you really living out your faith? I know that might cut a little bit. If you don't have enemies when it comes to your Christian faith, are you really living out your faith? And I'm not trying to push shame and guilt into the room right now. Not a chance in the world. I'm speaking out of love and a pastoral heart. Let me explain it this way. Christians, people who have placed their life in Jesus, are supposed to stand against ungodly things. Human trafficking, gambling and substance abuse, abortion, many other things. We are supposed to stand against the ungodly things of this world that are out of line of God's kingdom. So persecution comes from living from and for the kingdom of heaven. Jesus says, woe to you all if, if all speak well of you. He's saying if, if no one's speaking uh, off of you and like, and kind of like taking shots at you because of your life and faith in me, it's just like, whoa, like, like, are you really living and are you really actually a citizen of heaven? If you're not living out that calling, Christ followers are to stand in the things of God with love, grace, and peace. Like, I, I hope you hear that like, clear as day, that Christ followers are to stand in these things of God with love, grace, and peace. I'm not telling you to leave this space right now, go to the side of a road, protest with a pitchfork and a bullhorn and start raising hell and see how many people you can become an enemy with this afternoon. I'm not saying that at all. What I'm trying to help us realize is that Jesus was helping them and now us know that because of our faith, we are not of this world. And because the world is against the kingdom of heaven, we will naturally have people that will want to hate, to curse, to exploit out of selfish reason and try to get above us. And Jesus is saying, even though they do these things to you, against you, you will love them no matter the cost. Because here's the thing. I know some of us are probably thinking and realizing it is so much easier said than done. Like we acknowledged before, the people that would have been sitting at the feet of Jesus hearing him say this, this would have been real for them. They know that the hatred is real, the curses, the exploitation, the things that the haters were doing, the enemies were doing. And for some of us today, we have faces and names and hearts and people groups 
that are attached to these things in our lives. They are true enemies. They're real for us. And I know that it's easy for me to say that Jesus knows your pain, but the thing is, Jesus knows your pain. He knows the enemies of your life. He knows that you have a hard time seeing the car that they even drive, the make, model, and year, because it triggers you. And we as a church, we pray for healing with you and alongside you and for you in these things. But we have to ask ourselves this question. Are we going to take Jesus seriously even when it comes to our enemies? What is the posture that you and I are going to take? Is it going to be Jesus-like? Because here's the thing. Matthew chapter 5, just a section right before this. It kind of hit me really hard this week when I read this. It says this, Jesus speaking. You have heard that it was said, an eye for an eye, a tooth for a tooth. But I say to you, do not resist the one who is evil. But if anyone slaps you on the right cheek, turn to him and uh, the other side. If anyone sues you to take your tunic, let him have your cloak as well. If anyone forces you to go the one mile, go with him two miles. Give the one who begs from you and do not refuse the one who would borrow from you. This hit me like a truck this week. Because Jesus is using real life, extreme examples to show that our love for our enemies has a reason behind it. Because it shows us that our default response as a Christ follower, it, 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 it comes to like we need to show the evil, the poor, the friend, the family, and the enemy that we are for them. And here's the hook, line, and sinker here. It's because he's saying this. It's allowing us to see that our satisfaction does not come from fame, money, security, revenge, or hate. None of those things give us satisfaction in the kingdom of heaven. Our satisfaction and worth only comes from the mouth of Jesus and only Jesus and how he sees you and I. Our satisfaction does not come from the revenge or the hate that we get to put or the judgment on people. No, you and I, our worth comes from Christ alone, how he sees you as a son and a daughter, a friend and a family member where he says, my love is for you. And guess what? You are going to show it to your enemies. Because here's the thing for us today. Christian love is an act of the will. Not simply ran off emotions. That's why we called this message, love that goes the distance. And because this love runs off an act of will, Jesus has all the right because he is our Lord, our Savior, our King, our Prince of Peace, where he calls us to love our enemies because we sometimes forget that once we were enemies to God as well. Romans chapter 5. Paul talking to the Roman church, he says, For if while we were enemies, we were reconciled to God by the death of his son, much more now that we are reconciled, shall we be saved by his life. This verse from Paul fixes our eyes now on something beautiful and rich about who God is and how he wants us to be reconciled to him. We can see that God moved towards us before we even took a step towards him. He sent his one and only son, John 3, 16, to die for the world and his enemies. And something that touched my heart this week so dearly in my study was this. Thinking about loving your enemies. How do we do that? The root origin of loving an enemy 
is to experience love while being an enemy. I'm going to say that again. The root origin of loving an enemy is to experience love while being an enemy. If you're a Christ follower today, this should land in your heart real well. And if you're new today, we pray that you would continue to come back here on a Sunday morning, get connected and begin to learn and explore what it means to receive this love from Jesus Christ on that cross that he hung. Because here it is, friends, as Christ followers, we have all experienced this kind of love from the Father at some point and place in our life when we knew that we never deserved it because we were an enemy. Maybe it's the day that you gave your life to Christ and it became so real for you and you understood that you were a child of God and you knew it in your being. Your life was transformed because of the love, even though you were an enemy. Maybe it's your day of baptism. You go back to the day and you start reflecting on it. Where it changes for most people is the baptism because when you go through the waters of baptism, it is saying you are showing and you are shedding off the old life and the new life has begun in Christ Jesus. And this is where we need to recognize that if we are apprentices to Jesus, he calls us to shed that old life off, walk in the new, and that means loving your enemies and praying for those who persecute you. And this is where I want to land today for you and I. How do we love our enemies? It comes from verse 44. Pray for those who persecute you. I heard an author and theologian, R.C. Sproul, once tell a story where he challenged one of his guys in his church to pray for his enemy once a day for 30 days instead of cursing that man. The man responded to R.C. Sproul and said, I'll try it. But guess what? This man, the way he has treated me, it's going to be really hard for me to break the chains off of how I see this guy. But he took the challenge. So time went on and on and the men kept coming to church and they never responded or talked about it, about the challenge that he gave them. But 30 days later, he came to Sproul and said, I did your challenge. And, and, and Sproul said, so how'd it go? He says, in response, over these 30 days, I began to learn and see the heart of God and how he sees that man as a child and he loves him so deeply, more than I could ever imagine. Powerful. The prayer for an enemy. The person that persecutes you. And a Christ follower saying, you know what? I'm going to pray for you instead of trying to get back at you. See, I believe in our Western world, we forget the power of prayer sometimes. And how it aligns our hard hearts onto the things of God if we choose to truly seek His presence above anything else. Over the years, I've heard Ron, our lead pastor, who happens to be my dad, say, it's hard to hate someone when you're praying for them. See, prayer has the power to take the poison out of the attitude and the feelings and emotions towards your enemy and allows us to see our enemies the way God sees us. See, I believe with all of my heart that when we pray for our enemies, God sees and God gives us his eyes for us to see them through his lens. And when we pray for our enemies, God gives us his heart 
that beats so fast for that person, even though we can't stand that person. And in praying for enemies, I believe God gives us our ears, his ears, sorry, so we can hear where they are in need, so we can continue to pray for them. See, our prayer for this person, God gives us his eyes, his heart, and his ears, which is just, holy, and love. Yes, this world needs a dash of love, and we joked about it, probably a hint of something else at the beginning. But what if this love was ignited and set on fire with supernatural prayers that are unleashed and ushered into the presence of God, where he, where we hand over our enemies to God and begin to pray. And when we pray for them, we are assisting and partnering with God and reaching all people because we've experienced his love and we desire that love to be deposited into others. What would it look like for you and I for the next seven days to pray for our enemy once a day? Maybe you've got to set a clock, a timer. Maybe you feel led to do the full 30 days like Sproul encouraged that man. But what would it look like if you and I took the seven days to pray for them once a day? I've had to do this this last week. And I've learned something. And I believe God will do this with you as well. God will give you a sneak peek into the way he sees them as a child. Even if they don't know him, even if they are far from him, even if you just don't even see how they would ever even know the love of God, he will give you a sneak peek on he's running after them in a gentle, non-chaotic way but he's loving them. Which will then lead you and I into partnering with God to fight for that person's heart day in and day out, just like he did for you with Jesus on that cross. Jesus hung that cross, hung on that cross and said, God, do not forsake them, for they do not know what they have done. He prayed for you and I on that cross for God to love you and I. It is our turn to love our enemies and pray for those who persecute you. Peace and grace be with you. Amen.